In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is the first Sunday of Nesra, and it's the shortest, um, and it's the only Sunday of Nesra because it's the shortest month of the Coptic calendar. Uh, this year, because it's a leap year, it's actually six days, it's usually five days. So we know that the Coptic months each have 30 days, and then which brings us to 360 days. Uh, and then the 13th month is a five day month, but on leap year, it's six days so that we can get that extra day. Um, and we celebrate uh, the Coptic New Year here on September 12th this year. Today's Gospel reading, as we do at the end of every Coptic year, we read about the end of times. Last week we read, um, and this week we read again from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Last week was according to St. Mark. And the same discussion actually occurs in the Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 21 as well. And as we discussed last week, with the start of any new Coptic year, the Church teaches us to remember a few things, such as the martyrs, we remember their sacrifice, we remember the second coming of our Lord, and we remember also that our days here on earth have an end. And all of these things inspire us and encourage us to repent, because if we were to prepare for that next era, that eternal kingdom that's coming, what's the best way to prepare for it is by living a life of repentance. As our Lord said in today's gospel, he who endures to the end shall be saved. So we have to always resist the, the, the evil that's in the world, and we have to always live a life of repentance. And as we talked last week, we started that discussion, we'll continue it today as well. The commitment comes, the commitment to repent comes to different people in different ways. Some have had, for example, a tragedy that hit their life or witness some sort of tragedy in someone else's life, and that encourages us to repent. For some, it's a miracle that they might have witnessed. For others, it's inspired by a life of a saint. They read a life of a saint, or they'll look at their icon and encourages them to repent. Some of us need constant reminders, constant reminders, and finally that commitment to repent comes. Some are very sensitive, however, and hear the words of the Lord telling us to repent, and begin the journey of repentance as soon as they hear those words. All of us are encouraged, though, to repent when we keep the end in front of us, for there is an end. The end either through the second coming of our Lord as he preached today, or through our own end of our life, which will come as well. And these are realities that we always have to keep in front of us. And we talked last week about the benefits of this, and that it actually encourages us in a joyful way to live our life in a more meaningful manner and not to waste our time here on earth if we always keep our, our end in front of us. It's not a morbid or sad thing. It's something that will actually give greater meaning and greater fulfillment in life if we keep that day in front of us and we make every minute and second count in our life as much as we can. Last week we began our discussion on repentance uh, and we talked about the means of repentance. You know, we are, once we are committed to repenting, how do we actually repent? What are some of the means? And this is a very long topic, and Pope Shenouda III wrote a beautiful, beautiful book that you should all read. It's called The Life of Purity and Repentance. Some of you have read it. Has anyone read it? Yeah, I see some hands. That's good. Uh, it's a really beautiful book. Um, we spoke about the importance last week about identifying our sins and that only comes when we sit alone by ourselves and evaluate our lives what's going right what's going wrong and then we identify our shortcomings and our mistakes and our sins today we'll talk about a couple other means to repent uh, once we're committed to doing so after we sat with ourselves and evaluated our life we identified our shortcomings and we go to god with humility asking him to help us to repent the next thing 
is to own our mistakes. Because some people, when they identify their mistakes, begin to make obstacles, such as excuses. One of the biggest obstacles after we've identified our shortcomings is to begin to make these kind of excuses or to justify the sins that we have in our life. We don't want to own our faults or to have any regrets, but to make excuses that these sins were committed, for example, due to external factors or the, the people pressured me to do this, or it's only natural to do this, or that everyone else is doing it, or that that's the way I was raised. And these are various examples of ways we kind of um, provide excuses or justifications because of our many sins. An identifying step is the first step. The next step is to be sure to be humble about it, about the sin, and not to make excuses, but own those mistakes, you know, that these are our mistakes that we did. This isn't anything new, you know, this is the first inclination whenever we are confronted and we evaluate ourselves, or maybe somebody else pointed a fault that's inside of us, our first inclination is to provide some sort of excuse or justification for it. This is just natural. And we see this in the very first man and woman. When Adam and when Adam um, when God approached Adam after he ate, what did he do? Did he own it and say, "Lord, I sinned. I ate this mistake. I ate this uh, fruit. I'm sorry." What did he say? He made me do it. Uh, the woman you gave me, you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I ate. And Eve did the same thing. Eve said, "The serpent deceived me. It's not my fault. The serpent deceived me, uh, and I ate." If someone wants to find an excuse, they will find one. There's many excuses, right? There's plenty of excuses. And they will find it in order not to blame themselves or have others blame them or her. But all excuses are not acceptable. And all the excuses stop the process of repentance. When we make excuses, we don't want to repent and we want we don't want to turn away from those sins. And we instead we find excuses to continue in those sins. In Psalm 51, however, in contrast to this, David the prophet prayed the psalm that we always pray at the beginning of every Ekbeah, and it really drives home this concept of owning our mistakes. He says in that Psalm 51, and we say it with him when we pray it with him, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins are always before me, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. So it's a, it's a man who owned his mistakes. Excuses are many, and they have a terrible, terrible effect on us when we have excuses. Not just in repentance, but actually in every aspect of our life, in every area that we seek to excel in life. Excuses paralyze a person, and they numb the conscience so that we don't feel bad about something. And, and when we don't feel bad about something, we continue in that something. People who embrace excuses never advance because they're always justifying their sins and justifying their shortcomings. And in the spiritual life especially, this is true. For example, many make excuses for not serving in the church. Many make excuses for not praying, not going to church, not giving, not repenting, and so on. And they will look back in their life after many years, and they will find that you, they've accomplished nothing. And all they will look back and see is a pile of excuses. We need to push through those excuses, though, like David, David the prophet. When he met Goliath, he could have made a valid excuse for not fighting him. He was smaller. He had no armor, no experience in warfare. Like Goliath was a very experienced soldier. And after all, all the other experienced soldiers on his side, they refused to fight him. But he didn't do that. He pushed through the mountain of excuses that he could have offered 
and because he saw a task that needed to be completed, pushed through those excuses and leaned on God for victory. Or, or example, how about those friends who brought in their companion through the roof because of the crowd? They could have made an excuse saying, you know, these so-called people of God, they're there to, to um, you know, hear Jesus, but they're not even friendly enough to let this paralyzed man go to Jesus so that they can be healed. Uh, I'm done with this. And they could have made the excuse and left and nothing would have happened. But instead they pushed through the excuses and they went and climbed and uh, to the roof. They carried this paralytic man to the roof. That must have been very difficult, by the way, with two or three people to carry somebody to the roof. They dug through the roof at the, at the risk of being ridiculed by the owner of the house, brought in this paralyzed man in front of Jesus, and Jesus, because of their faith and because of, because of them overcoming those excuses, he healed that paralytic. Another example is Zacchaeus, who was short. He was born a very short human being, and uh, he was ridiculed by the people because he was a tax collector. And he came to see Jesus, and because he was short, and because he was a tax collector, no one let him in front. He could have had that excuse. After all, he's been short all of his life, and that was probably an excuse he had many times. And he could have just went home and nothing would have happened. Instead, he humbled himself, this professional tax collector, you know, probably like, you know, rolled up his sleeves and climbed up a tree. And because of this, he overcame that excuse, and Christ saw him and valued his effort. What about the right-hand thief? Christ was on the cross. He was being ridiculed. He was in his complete emptying stage of, of his life here in ministry on earth. And it's not like he's, uh, the right-hand thief saw him on the mountain of transfiguration, full of glory. No, he saw him on the cross in his weakness. And what did he do? Right? People say, oh, the thief on the right hand didn't do anything, he just had faith. That's not true. He did many things, and I wish we could do what he did while his hands were tied on the cross. He glorified God. He, con he confessed uh, in front of all the people. Even everyone else was ridiculing. He could have used that as an excuse, but he didn't. He owned his sins, and while Christ was on the cross, he confessed his sins. Another wonderful example from church history is St. Athanasius. Those who have uh, read his story will know that one day his life will be a movie one day. It's, it's like epic, epic story. He was exiled five times. Emperors were infringing into the faith and persecuted him, this poor man, right? St. Athanasius. Everyone seems to have been wandering from the faith and gave in to the political pressures of the emperor, uh, gave in to Arianism. Someone even told him at one point, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. He didn't use that as an excuse, saying, well, if the whole world's against me, I'm done with this. He responded saying, and I against the world. And he pushed through the excuses. Those who love God want to encounter him and not to make excuses, but to rise above the excuses. And when it comes to recognizing our sins, especially in preparation for the eternal kingdom, we should own them in a humble spirit so that we can win God's mercy and grace to overcome and to repent. Think about something in your own life that drives you or that you wish to accomplish or obtain very passionately. And we all have those different things in our lives. What, what excuse could have gotten in your way? Probably nothing, right? Until you obtain that, that goal.
But if something is really not that wanted, there are plenty of excuses that we allow to enter into our life so that we can justify us not getting it. In the spiritual life, where repentance is a core of that life, there can be no excuses. When we seek first the kingdom of God and repentance and to, uh, and to be closer with God, we have to rise above all excuses. And God grants us the victory despite the excuses and despite the obstacles that face us. So let's not make these kind of excuses when it comes to doing things that we know that God wants us to do. And we all know those things. If excuses could stop God's commandments, then God wouldn't have given those commandments. Of course, God's grace can overcome all excuses and obstacles. If only we humble ourselves and own our mistakes. Another reason why someone may uh, make excuses that he or she wants to keep that false image of himself intact intact to his own self or intact maybe that false image in front of other people and when self-evaluation comes or somebody you know points out a shortcoming uh, you know like it, that becomes like a mirror reflecting our shortcomings and we break that mirror with the excuses in order to keep that false image of ourselves intact but again both to ourselves and to other people so that we can always be beautiful in our eyes and we make ourselves as if we're infallible and we provide these excuses. So let's own our mistakes and be honest with ourselves because that honesty with ourselves helps us to win grace and mercy with God. Another means to repent besides owning our mistakes um, is detailed, uh, um, to be detailed in our relationship with God is what Pope Shenouda says, if you want to repent, then beware the first step leading to sin. Be very meticulous and detailed in your spiritual life. Every drunkard has begun with a sip. There isn't one drunkard in the world that's addicted to alcohol that didn't first start off with an innocent little sip. It's like a Trojan horse, right? Sin enters into our life appearing innocent and then grows from there. Sin leads to more sin and it leads to greater sins and it leads to repetitive sins until it becomes part of who we are, part of our character, and part of our personality. Not part of our nature, because our nature was renewed in baptism, but it does become a part of our habitual actions, and that's what character is, right? Character and personality is defined by the things that we do repetitively. <clears throat> Though these little sins may start small, its aim is to control you completely then it's more difficult to fight against these sins once they have that kind of control and once it becomes habitual. <clears throat> so let's tackle these sins when they're small and weak and overcome them and easier to repent from. Whatever stage we're at, let's stop it from getting worse. Eve, for example, started looking at the fruit and talking with the serpent. How many times did Eve, because remember the tree was in the center of the garden, how many times did Eve pass by that tree and not even think about it? We don't know exactly, but probably many, many times. But the one time she started talking to the devil, to the serpent, uh, that's when sin uh, started entering in. And the devil was smart about it, right? He was clever. He didn't say, take, eat, sin. This is sin, have it. He was more devious than that. He was more clever than that. He pre presented it as something very innocent. Um, slowly it turned this casual conversation into, a, into desire in, in Eve. And that desire to eat the fruit eventually led to her eating the fruit. Right? Um, he cast doubts about God's promises. And the tree was in the middle of the garden. 
uh, passed by it many times, but this time, because of this discussion with the serpent, she was now enticed and began to eat. So that dialogue with Satan caused her to stumble more and more until she was weakened. And that as the conversation continued with Satan, she became more and more weak. You know, she doubted God's promises. She was tempted by uh, becoming more and more like God. She saw how pleasant the, the fruit was after he pointed it out and focused on it. And then finally, she became weak enough to eat. If she didn't, let's back up though and rewind. If when it was simple, when the devil first approached her, if she said, I don't want to talk to you serpent, get away from me, then all of that would have been different. And who knows what would have happened after that. Uh, she wouldn't have been overcome with that desire if she just avoided that simple conversation. So as we celebrate the Coptic New Year, let's remember the teachings of the season. Although we're going to have a wonderful play after church today and a, and a nice choir, but let's remember the true teaching of the season, that, that we should remember that our time here on earth is short and our time uh, on earth is, has an end and so that the time for repentance is now. It starts with first evaluating our lives, owning our shortcomings, and staying away from the small sins which easily turn into big sins. So God grant us a joyful new year and that the following year be filled with his blessings, especially the blessings of the kingdom within our hearts to whom be glory forever. Amen.